0: It's good to see you this morning, I'm excited about this series uh, that we're starting about heaven. I just want to let you know that this morning I'm just going to set the table, I'm just going to prepare uh, the meal for us, uh, and, uh, and, and, and I want to invite you to start to use your imagination a little bit and get your mind active about this thing called heaven, this place called heaven. The Bible has a lot to say about it, and I don't think most people are aware of it, um, and I need to let you know that I don't have all the answers about heaven and about what it's all going to be like. Uh, I have some of the answers, but my job isn't to have all of the answers. Uh, your job is to get to study the Bible a little bit yourself uh, and discover some of this. And I'm going to give you this promise that you'll probably have more questions when I'm done than answers. So are we okay with that? Yeah. Okay. Um, but I'm very excited about this series. Um, and just to give you a little bit of insight, as to someone asked me why this series, and uh, over the past few years, uh, death has touched people around my life, um, uh, and and it, it it wasn't easy. Um. And and family, extended family. Friends, uh, there's been people in my life diagnosed with things, and it was. And as a pastor, you get the opportunity to walk with people through this stuff. And so, aside from my own family, and aside from my friends, my church has been through a lot. Um, and I found myself trying to safeguard my life, and my family from death. Uh, And I I realized, I've been realizing, that my focus has for a while been on the safeguard against death, rather than the joy of Christ in heaven. And so I, I had to do a little bit of soul searching within myself and setting myself right about this life about this world about mortality in my own um, and those I love and what I realize is that the scales in my life are out of balance as far as those things weighed on the scales of human pain and suffering and the other side of those scales which should be the weight of glory in heaven I found those scales were out of balance, and so I set to the process in my life of getting the scales set right. And it led me to a study of heaven, and it's something I think that I've been negligent in teaching this church, and it's something I think most churches in America have been negligent, and most churches in the world have been negligent. In understanding the tr- truth and reality of heaven. And so, this series, what is heaven really like? Do you wanna know? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So do I. <laughs> in Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, records the fact that God made male and female in his image and put them in a place called Eden. And God's original intent for mankind, male and female, in Eden, was to rule and subdue. That was God's original intent of a real human race, a real man, a real woman, and their offspring. That was his intent. To be in a real place called earth and to rule and subdue it with uninterrupted relationship with him With each other, with the created order of animals and environment. That was his original intent. When Adam and Eve sinned, it appeared as though Satan ruined God's plan for a righteous, undying humanity to rule earth to God's glory. It looked like the devil had spoiled that plan. But please understand. That was God's plan at the beginning, and that plan has never been ruined. It may be delayed, but it's not destroyed. To say that the devil could thwart and ruin God's plan would be to acknowledge erroneously that the devil is more powerful than God and the devil can override God's plans. That is not true. So God. Decided to buy back, in other words, redeem, restore that which had been given over through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And introduce into time and space resurrection. Not just the resurrection, but resurrection. We'll talk about it. Resurrection means that everything will be redeemed. Everything will be renewed. Everything will be glorified, even nature itself. And it means that the created order will be recreated. Resurrection is huge. I'm going to talk about resurrection extensively on April 17th at Easter. And I'm going to talk about what it is to have creation recreated in a new earth on April 24th. But please understand, that God's original intent for humans and humanity has not changed. But was his original intent? Do you remember? I just said it. I hope you remember. I hope you're real ups do the earth. A real human, real humans, Adam and Eve, they weren't different. On a real earth, read the first six days of creation. That's where Adam and Eve were. To rule and subdue that created order. That intent hasn't changed. But because sin introduced death and decay into the created order, God's plan, not destroyed, but delayed. And because of death, now Christ followers wait for the redemption of all things. And the place we wait is a place called heaven. Please understand this. Heaven is the place God dwells, and the place God dwells is heaven. Heaven is a real place intended for real people, and it's described in the Bible. Scripture provides us substantial information about heaven to know what it is, both directly and indirectly. About the world to come, and it gives us enough information we can envision it, but not so much we feel like we get our minds totally wrapped around it. And so, in this series, I'm going to provide you from the Bible enough information to envision what heaven is like. And let me just tell you this the place that most of you are thinking of heaven right now is not the place that Christ's followers will be for eternity. We'll talk about it in the Bible. I'm going to give you enough information where biblically you can start to imagine because we'll never fully grasp it until it becomes reality. Most people don't spend much time contemplating the realities of heaven, right? You feel like you're in trouble if you say you're right? You're like, I don't feel like I should. Most people don't spend a great deal of time contemplating what heaven is really like. Most people don't search the scriptures deeply so that they know with certainty what it's like, correct? Most think this, I'm not sure exactly what heaven is, but it's probably better than earth. Let me tell you this, if heaven isn't better than earth, like if this is the only heaven there is, eesh. and so most people think, I don't know what it is, but I think it's probably better than this, and I know it's better than whatever hell is, so I might as well go to heaven, and that's part of actually the extent of it, and so the rest of life ends up being lived with two questions. One, about heaven. One, what is my arrival service and date? What's that transportation going to look like? And what am I going to do there if I make it? You know why most people don't search out what heaven's really like? Do you want to know? It tells us in the Bible. Any of you know? No, because we don't study what heaven is. Let me tell you Revelation chapter 13, verse 6. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God. This is the adversary. This is the the beast, to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It opened its mouth to slander. You, you You know what slander is? Slander is lowering the reputation of someone or lowering the reputation of something. Anytime you take your time and lower the reputation of someone, you've slandered them. Do you agree? Okay. And so the adversary, the beast, slanders three things. Slanders God's person, slanders God's people, and slanders God's place. The devil takes his time and energy to slander and lower the reputation of who God is and to slander and lower the reputation of God's people and to slander and lower the reputation of God's place. What is God's place? Heaven. See, because the devil cannot stop the redemptive work of God, but the devil can keep us from seeing the breadth and the depth of the redemptive work over all of creation. The devil cannot, by any stretch of the imagination, keep Jesus from defeating him, but the devil can cause God's people to understand that victory only as partial, that the reality of the next is still unknown. And here's why the devil does that. Because it's real hard to get excited about what you can't imagine. Right? You can get excited about a day off. Why? Because you know how hard you work. You know how good a day off is. You've had those before. You can get excited about a vacation. Why? Because you're on social media and you see what everybody else does and you can (laughs) imagine that. You know how difficult it is to to get a team, a football team, a baseball team that is never won a game to get excited about playing a game because they can't imagine what women's like. You understand? You know how easy it is to get an undefeated team excited about playing? You don't got to do nothing. I tell them the date. So this study is crucially and vitally important. Because we cannot anticipate and cannot desire what we cannot imagine. And as long as the resurrected universe is unimaginable or undesirable, Satan succeeds in slandering heaven because he's lowered. Do you understand? So I'm convinced that the devil does not want us to know the truth of heaven. Because if we realize it, and if we yearn for it, a future with God in a real place, with real people, with the real God, we'll fall more in love with God. And we'll fall more in love with the future with God. And we'll be more bold in following him with more zeal and more passion and a better perspective on this world. Did you know that we're told to crave heaven? I'm sure if I said we're told to crave Jesus, you'd be like, yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, like he's the guy. I'm sure if I said we're told to crave God, you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense too. Let me create it all, he's... He's kind of the guy, too. Did you know that we're told to crave heaven? Not just want to go there so we don't go to hell. Not just want to go there so that we're just not warm food afterwards. We're told to crave it. Look at what the Bible says. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This is Paul talking. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Sit at the right hand of God. Where is Christ? Sit at the right hand of God. Where is that? Heaven. And set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Here's the problem. Here's the, I, your My problem is this. That our hearts and our minds have so been conditioned to earth and the things of this life that were unaccustomed to heaven thinking. Do you understand? Our lives and our minds, our desires, our hearts, our thoughts. And honestly, the more we're on this, the more we're tied to this. And so Paul says, get your minds off of that stuff and start craving that stuff. Because when you crave that stuff, you'll be invested there. Someone said this once. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this world. We get so wrapped up in the things of this world. Content that we're going there one day. Do you know heaven is mentioned 276 times in the New Testament alone? And it's referred to three times by the Apostle Paul. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's referred to as three heavens by the Apostle Paul when he says in 2 Corinthians 12, I know a man who was caught up to the third heaven. And some, some... Pseudo-religions and cults have misused that idea of the third heaven to to, to erroneously teach that there are three levels of heaven. That's not true. When Paul says, caught up to the third heaven, he gives us a clue into three heavens. In the Bible, if you got a good Bible, You can go to the Old Testament and realize that the first heaven is the sky and the firmament, that in which the clouds exist and the birds fly in. And if you got a good Bible, you can read it and discover that the second heaven is the heaven of the outer space and the planets and the stars, referred to specifically in Genesis 1. And if you got a really good Bible, you will realize that the third heaven is the location of the dwelling place of God that is still yet unknown. The third heaven. So when we talk about life after death for the Christ follower, we talk about heaven, the dwelling place of God. Jesus promised that he would prepare a place for us, heaven, John 14. And this is the place that we long for. And this place, heaven, the dwelling place of God, should be what we long for. You know why? Because the book of Ecclesiastes tells us, He has set eternity into the human heart. God has set eternity into the heart of mankind. Here's the thing. We are homesick for Eden. Though never been there, we're homesick for a place we've never been. Though never experienced it, we're each of us homesick to go home to Eden, to return it to heaven. Every attempt at human progress is an attempt to overcome what was lost in the fall and to regain a semblance of Eden. It's what you and I long for. And we're desperate. We're desperate for what God has implanted in our hearts. Have you ever heard someone say, you know, I'm not religious. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. You probably said it. I've heard a lot of people say it, and I agree with them. I get it. And to me, it makes perfect sense. And you should be. Spiritual, but not religious. Here's what I mean. Religion primarily has to do with rules that you do to make you able to get to God. That's religion. And it always falls short. Christianity isn't about us getting to God. Christianity is about God coming down to us. And so the idea of being spiritual is this very thing. God has put eternity in your hearts. You feel it. And we yearn for what that first man and that first woman enjoyed. We yearn to actually experience a perfected earth, a beautiful earth that's free and untainted, in perfect relationship with God, with each other, with animals and the environment. We yearn for that. And the Christian cannot talk about the problem of pain and cannot talk about death without putting it against the backdrop of heaven and what's already been prepared for us on the other side of pain and death. See, here's what I know. If we don't talk about heaven, if we don't understand it, we don't have a solution for the problem of pain and suffering and death in this world. If you don't have heaven and the reality and the weight of what it is, all you have is pain and suffering and death. And if this is all you have, you put that on the scales of nothing and it outweighs it all. Right? And this is the problem, not with people. Not just with people. This is the problem with most Christians who do not understand heaven. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are worth, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He says, I understand their suffering, but I consider that not even worth comparing what's on the other, it's not that, it's not significant. But when you compare the suffering of life to this world, it's overwhelming. But when you compare the suffering of life to the weight and the reality of a real heaven, not that it's not significant, but this is so much more. Why don't we know it? C.S. Lewis said this, Scripture habitually puts the joys of heaven on the scales against the human suffering of earth. That's what's on the scales. I've said this before, I'll say it again. That a weak understanding of heaven results in a faith that cannot stand up in the face of suffering. When this life is all we have, all we do is live in the protection and the proliferation and the longevity. Not I'm saying don't prolong it, don't make it long. I'm not saying that. But when this is where our focus is, we will do anything and we'll live in fear of that because we don't know what that is. We do know what this is. And when this is all where our focus and our mind and our craving is, this is the weight. Because you don't have anything to counterbalance it. And outweigh it. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says again, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Not that they're not significant, but what's on the other side of those scales far outweighs it. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. He calls these sufferings of this world... He calls them light and momentary and that is offensive is all we have to do is weigh them against this world. But he's not saying that they're insignificant. He's not saying that they're trivial. He's not saying that they don't matter and they don't, that's not what he's saying. He's not taking it lightly. He says, but it depends on what you compare it to. And what he's saying here is if the pains of the sufferings of this world are weighed only against this world, it is too much. But if the pains and suffering and even injustices of this world are weighed against what's on the other side of heaven, as painful and difficult as this is, it, it's light and momentary. Depends on what we compare it to. Depends on what's on the other side. The weight of suffering versus the weight of heaven. Even the worst, Paul says, is light and momentary, not because it's insignificant, but because of what it's weighed against. So why don't we know what it's weighed against? It puts all this in perspective. And that's why the devil slanders it and wants us to live in ignorance of it. See, our problem. Is that we don't have an adequate view of, or appreciation of heaven? That's our problem. That's why the series is important. We know that things are terribly broken here, don't we? Is that a surprise to anybody? No. I'm sorry if I burst your bubble. I, I think you know by now. We know that there's something terribly wrong with this world, right? And we know how desperately we want things to be made right. We have a longing for something better. We have a longing for something deeper. We have a longing for a better world where there is no suffering. We have a longing for a reality that's beyond pain that only ends in death. And we want to believe, every one of us wants to believe that we were made for something better, that we were made for something deeper, that we were made for a better world and a better life, and we feel the pull of it, and we feel the longing of it, and we feel the hope of it, because this is eternity that God's put into our hearts, and it's not just a pipe dream, my friends. It's reality. Paul tells us in Romans 8, for the creation was subjected to frustration. The creation. Go back to Genesis 1, 2. Read about the creation. Everything that God did in those first six days is recorded in the scripture. Every, the created order has all been subjected to frustration in hope that the creation itself, the entire work of God's creation, will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation, the entire created order, has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Paul says we have a sense That there must be a better way, a better reality. And we're stuck in this time and we're stuck in this place groaning for something better. What we're waiting for is resurrection. See, the resurrection is the hands on which all of eternity and heaven swings. Resurrection is is the passageway to what's on the other side. The key to creation's renewal, the key to eternity is resurrection. Not just the resurre- resurrection, resurrection. Let me tell you how important this is. And I'm going to spend all day on Easter Sunday talking about this. Resurrection is not the resuscitation of a dead body. Resurrection is the emergence within time and space of a new order of life. That's resurrection. It changes everything. Resurrection changes it. Resurrection sets in process the work of redemption of the entire renewal of the entire created, recreation of the entire created order of a reality bursting into this world. So back to Colossians 3. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earth. Here's what happens. When we don't look constantly and crave God and heaven, his dwelling place, two things happen. We look inwardly at ourselves which results in selfishness and entitlement. Or we look outwardly at each other, which results in blame and quarrels. Do you understand? You know I'm right. And some people, Christians, and some families, Christians, have been so destroyed relationships disintegrated primarily according to scripture because our focus has been inwardly blaming quarrels rather than craving hearts and minds heaven. It changes everything. what we have in the results of not craving heaven, hearts and minds set on Christ, and him seated at the right hand of God. What we have results in restless and unsettled leaders, in quarreling families, in materialism, fear, and self-protection. Set your minds on things above our Christ, is seated at the right hand of God, that's heaven. In verse 1, when he says, set your heart, he means literally to seek in order to find out. Search it in order to find to actually crave it. To seek and find out what find out heaven to crave it, crave heaven. And when he says in verse 2, set your mind to direct one thoughts toward to consciously direct our minds heaven. 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 Because this is so important. God gives us four ways to draw our hearts toward heaven. Do you want to know what they are? You've experienced them. You just missed them. You've experienced all of these. You just missed it. Because our hearts and our minds aren't set towards heaven. God's given us four things to draw to crave our hearts and our minds there. Pleasures, treasures, troubles, and transitions are all given to us by God to draw our hearts and our minds there, not here. Here's what I mean. God gives us pleasures. Matter of fact, the Bible says in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Every good and precious gift. Every pleasure that you experience, every joy, every beautiful thing, every happiness, every fulfillment are all derivatives of God. And they come from God. He's the creator. He's the originator of them all. And they're given to you to help you experience a shadow of the original thing to draw you to God and to the fact that in heaven you will continually experience the origination of all good things. Everything that is a joy to you is a shadow of the origination of joy, which is God himself. Everything that is a pleasure to us is an offshoot of God being our pleasure. And God gives us all that the Bible says, God created all things for our enjoyment. Why does he want us to enjoy what he's given us? Because they're meant to give us pleasures that draw us to him. Think if this is this good here, how good will he be there? These things that I love to do, that I love to experience, that are joyful and pleasurable, they're Shadows of the originator of all things. And they're meant to be enjoyed fully. Not to be self-absorbed, but to be God-focused. You understand? So those pleasures, the sweet rest, the joys, the beautiful things should be enjoyed fully. And they should serve to draw you towards heaven. So God gives you pleasures to enjoy, to draw your heart to him. But God also gives you treasures, pleasures and treasures. And God says, I'm going to give you treasures so you can invest them where your minds and hearts should be. Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's the truth. The more we're invested there, the more we'll be focused there. The less we're invested there, the more we'll be focused here. Do you understand? The reasons why we talk in this church a lot about tithing and being generous with our finances and the reason why we give you so many opportunities to serve through this church is that the more mindful you are of heaven there, the more invested you'll be there and the more invested you are there, the more mindful of there you will be for your good. The things of this world, the pains and the possessions of this world are less important for those who are most focused on the next world. Understand? And the stresses and difficulties are this, are, in this world are most powerful for those who are most invested in this world. That's why for so many The stresses and difficulties of this world are absolutely overwhelming. So they didn't text you back. Do you know how many lives get destroyed because they didn't get a text? So they said something on social media. Do you know how many people get absolutely wrecked? (laughs) Right? I mean, none of us, obviously, but those people out there who are just out of balance. because it's, it's so invested here. And when you're that invested here, all of your mind and emotion is here. When this life is my focus, I fear death. And when that life is my focus, there is no fear not even of death. Do you understand? So God gives us pleasures to enjoy, to draw our hearts to him. And God gives us treasures to invest, to draw our hearts to him. God gives us troubles as well. And Paul says in Romans, I consider that our, great present, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. He says, look, things are rough. That's why you groan, right? When us old folks get out of bed in the morning. We understand this verse right here. You know? Do you know what the second law of thermodynamics is? Let me tell you. It's the law of entropy. The second law of thermodynamics is the law of entropy. And the law of entropy says this, that things, there, there's a gradual decline into disorder. It, it means that things trend toward disorder and chaos, not order and improvement. And this slaps, uh, uh, this slaps evolution right in the face. Because things don't tend, according to the second law of the third things don't tend towards order and creation. They tend toward disorder and decay. So troubles exist in our lives... Because they're intended to draw our hearts and our minds to a land where entropy doesn't exist. Troubles occur in our lives to draw our hearts and our minds to a better land where things are always improving, when every day is more blessed than the former, where we live in continual presence of a perfect God who continually gives good things and loves perfectly day after day after day. Hebrews 13 says, For what? Here we have no lasting city. This thing, it it ain't going to last. But we seek a city that is, that's to come. A better world, a better city, a better land. The stuff of this world, the pains and the troubles, it's all, it's passing away. And what we're looking for is the world that is coming, a recreated world. And troubles come to make us crave that world. So when troubles come and all we do is sit and moan about the troubles of this world, we're missing the point. And God gives us transitions. when those we love pass from this world to that. David, and speaking of his child, he lost. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? No. But I will go to him. He won't return to me. We go through things in this world that transitions of those we love. Those Christ followers. And it is so true that when we have loved ones who believe in Jesus for salvation, who go through the transition to the better land, what I call heaven, the better land. Part of our heart goes with them, doesn't it? And we experience that, and it's part of it is intended to draw our hearts there. Because it is so true that the more loved ones we have in that world, the more we're prepared and pulled towards it. Do you understand? So God gives us pleasures to enjoy, to draw our hearts there. He gives us treasures to invest, to draw our hearts there. He gives us troubles to endure, to draw our hearts to the better land. And he, he allows us to go through transitions with people in this world to that, to draw our hearts to him. So let, me, let, me, let me wrap this up with this. There's, there's a lot to this heaven thing um, that we're going to get to. I told you today I'm just setting the table for our feast. But there's a lot of stuff of this heaven thing that I'm probably not going to get to. You know when people say they have a near-death experience and they see a light? Is that real? And what is the light? I'm probably not going to answer that question in this series. I'm just going to let you know. (laughs) But what I'm thinking about doing, you let me know if it's worth doing. I'm thinking about doing a question and answer time, like an unfiltered unplug thing on a Sunday evening and doing a question-answer time about all those things that I'm not going to address. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, if you're that eager for it, I don't know if I want to. There's <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Like I said, there's a lot of questions we don't know, but there's so much we do know, and we'll get to it. But let me, let me wrap this up with this. Instead of focus here, They were longing for a better country. It's what I call a better land. A heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Understand this. Don't miss this. What we typically think of of heaven is not where the Christ follower will spend eternity. That's not it. Because the Bible says that God has prepared there's a better country and a better city. Let's go back to Eden. In God's original intent, were they real humans of flesh and blood in the Garden of Eden? Yes. Was the Garden of Eden actually like terra firma earth? Yes, if that was God's original intent, why do we mistake the idea of eternity being some ethereal, disembodied spirits sitting on clouds wearing diapers playing harps? That, 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 that would be hell. If I had to sit on a cloud wearing a diaper playing a harp, and what's more, it would be hell if I had to see some of you wearing diapers. So, not wanting that for eternity. <laughs> so if that's God's original to Adam and Eve, let me, let me tell you this. Did Adam and Eve work in the garden before the, when they were in the garden? Did they work? Yes. Absolutely they did. So guess what we're going to be doing? But it'll be good work. It'll be fun stuff. Not the trash you've got to do for the idiot boss you have right now. Like good stuff. There's some occupations that will go on for. Can you imagine scientists in eternity continuing to realize how God did stuff? That's. A, can you imagine artists in eternity? Do you know how many colors hadn't been created yet? I don't know. They haven't been created. God stopped at day six. You know how much He could have done. You know the field day vets are going to have figuring out how animals work? Now, they're probably, sorry, won't be nurses in heaven. You got nothing to do. They probably won't be. I'll probably be out of a job. I got to think unemployment in heaven is going to be pretty good, though. Like God has... Get the idea of this ethereal cloud baby thing out of your head because God has prepared a real, a physical... The Bible says a new earth recreate imagine how good the new earth is going to be if god said like i'm going to recreate and then in eternity after the great white throne just heaven and earth are going heaven's going to come down to be on the new imagine what a new earth is going as good and as big and beautiful as mount everest is imagine a new recreated perfected everest As beautiful as a grand can, imagine a perfected grand can, beautiful as, can you imagine what the ranchos will be like, perfected? I mean, just think like it's it's a new, it's a new earth. And a physical body, it's Eden. Physical bodies that God res and recreate in a new recreated earth to live uninterrupted with God, with each other, with the animals and environment in perfection. It's not some little cloud baby. Now, I don't know how good the ranchos is going to be in the new earth. I, I don't know. Imagine Malibu. Imagine a new recreated Pismo. ha. <laughs> And, you know, and some of you who didn't do real well here uh, following Jesus are probably going to have to be in Chowchilla. But even <laughs> even a recreated Chowchilla is going to be all right. I'm telling you, man, I could talk about heaven all day long. And there's so much I haven't even scratched the surface with this morning. I just want to wet your, wet, wet your taste buds. God's plan hasn't changed. It's been delayed for a little while. And those who transition from this world, the next will wait in heaven. Some of us will continue waiting on earth. But his plan will be realized. Physical bodies. The physical bodies. And the physical And so in the weeks to come, we're going to talk about death. Because it's the bend in the road. It's the curtain we've got to walk through. And instead of talking about how to live well, we're going to talk about how to die well. Because one person did it exceptionally well. His name is Jesus. So we're going to talk about how to die well. And on Easter Sunday, we're going to look at the resurrection, the thing that changed everything. And the week after Easter, we're going to look at, seriously, what the new earth will be like. When heaven comes down and meets the new recreated earth. And we're going to look at what you and I will do there. And we're going to look at what our new heaven and our new bodies will be like. But until then, heaven only opens up one way. By faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So I want to give you an opportunity for the first time or to renew your entrance into real life. Through establishing or renewing a relationship with this Jesus who tasted death, defeated it, was the resurrection embodied who's prepared a place and who is the way. And through him for God to restore his original attention for humanity as it was in Eden. That is heaven, and that is my reality. And when that becomes your reality, the things of this world grow strangely dim, and the hope of heaven takes over. Won't you pray with me? Father, thank you that you've loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you that your love for us was so profound that you asked your son to come to this earth to die in our place where our sin could be forgiven. So eternal life and life with you in eternity could be a possibility. Hear our hearts now, God, as we set our mind and set our hearts on heaven. I'm going to give you the opportunity right now for the first time or as a renewal to once again set your heart and your mind on heaven through a relationship with Jesus. Becoming right with the Father through the death of Jesus and his resurrection. And the quietness of this moment between you and God just to say something like, God, thank you that you love me. And I believe you have prepared a forever place for me. I don't want to miss you, and I don't want to miss it. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me for being so earthly minded. My attention and intention has been here. I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus, come into my life and recreate me into the person you desire me to be. I accept you as the leader of my life. I will do as best I can to follow you with my life. Give me mercy and grace over it Jesus thank you thank you that you are the way the truth and the life Father thank you that you've created heaven for us and that the consummation of all things will recreate both our bodies and this world that we get to live with you forever in heaven God thank you for the pleasures that you've given us to, in a very shadow type way, experience the pleasures that originate from your being. Thank you for the treasures that you've given us, that you've allowed us to invest in that land, the better land to which we've not even visited yet. Thank you for the troubles that you allow us to go through to remind us that there is a better world. And thank you, Father, for those who are your kids that have transitioned already into that place. They draw our hearts closer to you. Encourage us with the reality and the truth of heaven. In your name I pray, amen.